Despite the market volatility caused by the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic, it seems that many sovereign wealth funds, having learned the lessons of the last financial crisis, have been nimble enough and cash-heavy enough to seize the opportunities that are out there. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is Kelsey Warner, Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. Good to be here. Sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East intend to use their cash reserves to take advantage of buying opportunities as asset valuations fall due to market turmoil caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. That's according to Invesco's annual Global Sovereign Asset Management Study. With us to discuss this further is Zainab Kufeshi, Head of the Middle East and Africa at Invesco. Uh, Zainab, thanks for joining us. Um, maybe you can kind of give us some of the overarching themes from this Sovereign Asset Management Report for this year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on uh, on the show. Um, yeah, so Invesco, as you know, is a, is a large independent asset management company. We uh, publish this report on an annual basis, now in its eighth year. Um, and it really is uh, tracks investment trends for global sovereigns and central banks by interviewing uh, on a one-to-one basis uh, the views of sort of uh, this year it's 139 chief investment officers, heads of asset classes, and senior portfolio strategists. Uh, really, a quite a large number of sovereign funds around the world uh, who together manage around 19 trillion dollars in assets. So um, it really is one of uh, the leading uh, studies in this segment uh, based on real data and real views. So we conducted the study uh, this year uh, in Q1. Uh, So it really straddled um, sort of January to March, um, and it straddled both kind of pre-COVID and post-COVID. So as you can imagine, the results uh, are a little bit mixed, but we've been able to draw out some really interesting themes uh, around investor behavior there. Um, I think the, uh, you know, the kind of the main theme that stood out for me, and there are five themes that are reports, but the first one uh, that might be interesting for your listeners is um, the the agility and the resilience uh, that we've seen with uh, sovereign investors uh, in executing on very interesting opportunities um, as a result of the COVID um, crisis and volatility. So what we've been encouraged by is the, um, how, sovereigns have been able to learn some of the lessons from uh, the global financial crisis. Uh, They've been able to um, make some organizational improvements for the management of their liquidity and really build some quite large cash reserves in in order to be able to take advantage um, of some of the market dislocations that we've seen and also to meet uh, some Uh, some of the government withdrawals and government obligations um, as a result of uh, keeping uh, the economies um, sustained. I want to ask you a question speaking to the global financial crisis and how sovereign wealth funds are placed, you know, a little more than a decade later. What sort of investments are they making coming out of Q1 2020, do you think, as they, you know, face yet another crisis? What are the preferences for asset classes? Well, just to kind of step back, I guess, um, a little bit, is that towards the end of 2019, they had found that uh, they'd done very well out of 2019 in terms of their equity allocations, but they were getting a little bit cautious about how toppy markets had become, uh, how possibly overvalued they'd become. So they'd actually decreased their equity allocations um, quite a bit. Um, And... uh, 
so that then they were able to to benefit from uh, getting some some sort of bargain hunting, if you like, uh, some blue chip companies at some very attractive prices. So they, uh, looking forward, that what the results have shown uh, is that quite a lot of, uh, nearly half of all sovereigns uh, were looking to increase their equity allocations as a result from that kind of relatively lower base uh, as they sought to take advantage. I think it's, you know, it's quite difficult to call because uh, it all really depends uh on the path uh, of the virus and how we're able to combat it and keep it under control. Uh, but generally, uh, what we have seen is that uh, they uh, were wanting to increase their equity allocations. The other um, couple of points, and this kind of follows more of a longer term trend, is the increase in alternatives. Um, we've seen uh, an increase in alternative allocations over the last 10 years, again, since the financial crisis in that hunt for yield, hunt for, hunt for return, and being able to um, gain from the liquidity premium. And obviously, as long-term investors, uh, custodians of long-term capital, they're able to take advantage of that. Um, so we're continuing to uh, see the theme of alternatives playing out. And within in fi fixed income uh, as well, uh, looking to increase their allocations there particularly in alternative fixed income. So um, looking at sort of high yielding credit, um, senior secured loans, um, private credit, things like that, um, to, again, uh, gain from, uh, from some of the, obviously, Fed backing um, of those assets uh, and also seeing opportunities uh, there as well. Uh, how, how does the risk profile differ for sovereigns versus other investors? It's very interesting. I think it's it's all very easy to lump sovereign investors in one group. Um, and in our study, we've really segmented this by four different types. So one uh, is what you'd what you'd call as your traditional sovereign wealth funds, the investment-led uh, sovereigns, where their objective is really investment-led, where they're generating reserve, generating returns for their um, future generations. Um, so they tend to be more sort of, um, you know, forward-looking in nature, much more longer term, um, don't have explicit liabilities to meet, um, and, uh, you know, most of their investments aren't international. Um, and then you've got the development sovereigns. So uh, these are sovereign wealth funds that have more of a development angle in terms of investing either in their local economies to, to prop that up and develop certain sectors or to uh, invest uh, abroad to almost build the profile of that certain country. Uh, you've also got stabilization funds. Um, uh, you've got uh, that are that could take the place of central banks, for example, uh, that uh, able to, for example, in this region, uh, maintain the dollar peg uh, and make sure that um, economies stay afloat and, and act uh, as central banks should. Um, and then finally, there's the pension funds, so sovereign or public pension funds that have explicit liabilities to meet. So this, the risk profiles and the liability profiles for all these four segments differ quite dramatically. But by and large, I think the definition for sovereign wealth funds is that they do tend to take a much more longer term view. And again, that depends on where you are um, in, in the world in terms of your demographics. So if you have a you know, relatively young population, uh, say, here in this region in the Middle East, uh, your pension funds, you know, are pretty well funded. They don't, you know, they're pretty cash positive, uh, you know, for several decades out. Um, so you are able to invest in a very different way to much less well-funded pension funds in the developed world, for example, in Europe or, um, uh, or North America. And are you seeing any other trends where the Middle East is differentiating itself in any way in terms of 
you know, investment preferences or just overall behavior or even the makeup of their talent pool? Yeah, the talent the talent uh, discussion is is interesting. You know, obviously, a lot of the cities that these sovereign wealth funds sit in are not, by and large, sort of big financial centers, and so they're not able to attract um, or, uh, or or to attract or retain actually talent uh, in the same way that I suppose other uh, you know cities uh, do. Um, so. What we've really seen from the Middle Eastern sovereigns around that theme of, of talent is, is developing talent is a key priority for them, especially um, where they are internalizing some of their exposures in the private markets. Um, so they're lacking that key skill set in investing uh, on the private side uh, and also in strategy and asset allocation. So these are capability gaps that were identified. Um, sourcing talent is, is a problem. Uh, like I said, uh, especially in the emerging markets, it is a smaller pool and you are competing with the private sector, um, with private sector wages. So um, so that could be an issue. Um, and in terms of retention, uh, their you know, internal development is seen as crucial. Um, you know, sort of knowledge transfer and training programs um, are very much in focus. And especially as they uh, grapple with new asset classes and new skill sets, they need to be able to develop their people. Um, and so that's really what they work with um, partners like us for uh, in terms of, um, you know, get, providing a bit of a helping hand in, in transferring some of that uh, knowledge uh, to them. So uh, this, is, this is kind of on the theme of, of talent. Um, I think in terms of generally what we've seen in uh, sort of sovereign investors in the Middle East um, is uh, some of that some of the themes that I mentioned around sort of alternative credit um, and uh, and sort of especially in high yield, um, for example, being particularly prominent on the equity side. We've seen more sovereigns in the Middle East uh, wanting to take advantage of uh, stocks in Europe uh, in emerging and developed Europe, for example, going forward. Uh, one of the themes of the Investco report is looking through the crisis for opportunities. And the, I kind of would like to understand what what the definition of an opportunity is, particularly for, as, as you say, the, a lot of these sovereign investors have very long-term uh, investment horizons. So, you know, is it is an opportunity in the, in the sense of to make a quick uh gain or is it is it to kind of pivot into areas that otherwise uh, they might not have uh, b- beforehand because of asset valuations that's interesting i think it's a mix of both right so because they're they've got long standing strategic asset allocation goals the what they really defined as sort of an opportunity is a stock a single line stock or an asset class a sub asset class that is trading generally below fair value um so they, a lot of these sovereigns, actually the more sophisticated ones, uh, also have trigger mechanisms to buy at certain prices, um, and so so a lot of gains as a as a result of being able again to be quite agile and to be able to execute uh, very quickly versus what we've seen ten years ago, uh, where maybe they weren't as quick, um, and so they've been able to to make some uh, really uh, good short term. Tactical gains. Obviously, we've seen the rally in the markets um, after that uh, initial uh, sort of volatility, uh, initial uh, selling, initial sell-off. So, um, so that's kind of on the kind of short term. But I think longer term, 
What we've seen, interestingly, is a theme rising in the ESG front, so in the um, uh, environmental, social and governance front, um, which is a theme that we've been exploring uh, for a couple of years, first in 2017, where it really hasn't, it wasn't really very prominent, um, especially in this region. Um, you know, I think that the primary mandate was seen uh, was to generate returns for future gener generations, right? But uh, what we've seen from this report is that uh, sovereigns were trying to almost future-proof uh, their uh, their portfolios and gain from some of the rising trends in, uh, in, in the new economy, and they tend to be sort of in the ESG front. So it, the ESG side was seen as a as a return uh, generating. Uh, factor, as well as a risk mitigating tool, um, especially in this region. Um, interestingly, what we've seen is that um, respondents in the Middle East were troubled by the potential portfolio impact of extreme weather, for example. Um, so, you know, rising sea levels, melting ice caps, um, irregular seasonal temperatures has really accelerated investor efforts uh, in the uh, in the impact and the fight against uh, the impact of climate change on their portfolios, but generally on their economies as well. So this is posing questions beyond just asset allocation frameworks, but really how capital markets work, how uh, sort of finance more broadly, how that can be structured at a fundamental level. And we've seen some great strides for sovereigns here in the region signing up to initiatives like the One Planet Initiative. Uh, Abu Dhabi has done a great job in, in putting together the um, Abu Dhabi Declaration for Sustainable Finance. Um, it's all these kind of um, high-level governmental initiatives that are also getting, uh, you know, trying to, to, to mitigate that impact. But I think some of the challenges we've seen there um, is how this is actually implemented um, in their portfolios, especially with their underlying managers as well. Does Invesco advise um, sovereigns? Are they are they kind of your clients, or, or do you allocate assets for them? So uh, absolutely, Invesco. Um, uh, you know, the the sovereign channel for Invesco is a very important one. Uh, we have sovereign investors all around the world, um, not just here in the Middle East. Um, and you know, our value proposition for them again goes beyond managing money, um, but really being a partner um, in terms of either their sort of thought leadership. Um, kind of key pieces that uh, may be beneficial to them or knowledge transfer and training programs. Um, so uh, we do have a solutions business uh, that is able to advise on asset allocation uh, broadly, depending on their liability profiles. Um, generally, uh, we've been in this region in the Middle East for 10 years, and generally we've managed um, uh, substantial assets on behalf of sovereigns. One investment sovereign actually said that rising greenhouse gas emissions are the most dangerous threat to our planet and portfolio. Can you speak a little more specifically uh, on where we can expect Middle East sovereigns to make investments to protect their portfolios against climate change? You spoke to some of these larger governmental initiatives, but what sort of asset classes will we see capital deployed over the next several years as we make the energy transition? Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, we've seen uh, quite a, a common theme or a substantial theme within Middle Eastern sovereigns in infrastructure. Uh, and this has come out of sort of the first theme. Um, but uh, I think Middle Eastern sovereigns report uh, the highest level of interest in communications. For example, 78% uh, uh, said that they wanted to invest in, in communications, other utilities and airports. 
Um, electricity projects that help countries transition away from fossil fuels uh, were also seen as particularly desirable and a way of fulfilling some of these ESG goals. Um, and uh, communication assets have, have sort of moved up the list of targets in tandem with the global rollout of 5G mobile networks, for example. So this is kind of tying into uh, that theme of more longer term alternatives allocations, uh, but also tying it to some to, to con- trying to fulfill some of the ESG goals as well. Um, so that's been really quite interesting, um, as we've seen that's more kind of more tactical and more targeted execution of uh, of ESG assets. But like I said, you know, ESG is a common theme um, that, uh, you know, sovereigns are trying to future-proof and really go into sort of new industries um, that would not just sort of mitigate the risks of climate change, but really benefit from the returns of these newer industries that um, haven't haven't existed um, before. So so more, a lot more VC, for example, a lot more venture investing and private equity investing in those areas as well. Zainab, to ask you, um, you know, just following on from the idea of, of the relationships that, that Invesco has with with sovereigns in this region in the world, sort of what, what what's the sentiment been like in your conversations, um, you know, with, with sovereigns, with chief investment officers, um, you know, as the pandemic has unfolded? Um, is it sort of bullish or... Is there a kind of uh, a change, perhaps, in in in, in the way they're thinking and the way they're they're looking forward? Again, coming back to that longer term um, kind of mentality, uh, you know, the asset allocations really stand. I think um, they are trying to uh, continue the research um, on certain sort of asset classes. For example, there has been a bit more of a tilt towards Asia, China in particular, here in this region. Um, you know, given that they've been able to control the virus to a certain extent, certainly um, sort of ahead of the curve, uh, ahead of Western Europe and, and North America and Latin America, but for that matter. Uh, Chinese uh, stimulus has also helped and that should be a support for Chinese stocks. Um, but I, I think generally, again, given the markets have rallied um, quite a bit, uh, there is a bit of a sense of sort of a watch and brief. Um, on the markets, especially given some of the current valuations that we've seen, and again the uncertainty around the path of the virus. Um, so this is uh, this is, I guess, a bit of a nuanced picture of, of sentiment and appetite, um, depending on who you speak to, and given, of course, their liability profile, their risk appetite. Um, but I think uh, you know the, the kind of rise of alternatives that continues, um, that hasn't slowed down as much. They they continue to have quite a lot of dry powder to to allocate. Um, and the search for yield, um, probably that, that theme is probably accelerated in the current climate um, as well. Um, so I suppose that they would be kind of the key themes, um, as well as kind of concerns that are always there, but probably a little bit more um, a little bit more expressed uh, because of the low oil price at the moment and more of a risk of withdrawal from their governments um, to to be able to kind of finance uh, some of those budget deficits or budget holes. But again, on the flip side, it's important to note that there are quite a few other funding sources available to uh, to these economies, um, not just sort of defunding the sovereign wealth fund. Zainab Kafeshi, the head of Middle East and Africa at Invesco, thanks for speaking to us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. 
Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Siemens Energy plans to increase its investment in renewables as it prepares to spin off from the German industrial conglomerate later this year, new president and chief executive Christian Brugge told The National. Strata, Mobadla Investment Company's aerospace manufacturing unit, is looking to diversify into the health technology sector as the COVID-19 pandemic fuels demand for medical equipment. And Microsoft, Nike, Starbucks, Unilever and Danone are teaming up in a new consortium devoted to sharing resources and tactics for slashing carbon emissions. That's it for today. If you have any questions or comments, please email malrawi at thenational.ae. If you enjoyed this show, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains to thank Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan for producing this episode remotely. And you all for listening. Join us again next time.